Please turn in the scriptures again, this time to Paul's epistle to the Galatians. And we're going to read together the first five verses of the first chapter there. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 1 to the end of verse 5. Galatians 1, and from verse 1 then. And the word of God reads thus. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're just going to pray a moment again now. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would realize what a privilege it is to have the word of God that the God of heaven the one who created all things the one who commands the snow when it comes as we've just sung that that one should deign to speak in our words in our language even to us Lord be with us we pray as we seek your face now speak to us may each of us meet with the risen Lord Jesus Christ here this morning. If there are those who do not know you, may they meet with you. May they fall down before Christ, and may each of us fall down afresh this morning. Whatever our needs are, provide, we pray, from your word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, it's nice when people wish as well, isn't it? When Susie, that's my wife, when Susie and I were, were teenagers... We would send each other messages before we had exams, wishing each other good luck, except we said good providence at the time. But it's nice to get a message like that. However, generally we know that messages like that have no real power. Now, I don't mean by that. There is a certain power, isn't there, to getting a text from a girl that you like that's nice, um, but didn't have any power to influence my exam, other than maybe making me feel a little bit more positive. But this morning we come to a situation where Paul wishes some people well. He wishes the Galatians well. He provides this blessing for them here in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we're going to see this morning, there was a real power to this blessing. There was a basis to it. God invokes, sorry, Paul invokes God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ here. And as we'll see, grace and peace really are available and really will be provided to the Galatians. And we're going to see this morning that Paul gives the basis for this really in verse 4. And we'll look at that in a moment. But I want us to look at this under three headings this morning. Three reasons that Paul has for giving this blessing. First of all, Christ's death. Secondly, God's decision. And then thirdly, our dependence. Three reasons for this blessing. Well, first of all then, Christ's death. We said that the basis for this blessing is found in verse 4. And the first thing 
I want us to notice what verse 4 says about the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace and this peace are from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we read in verse 3. But then, at the beginning of verse 4, we find out who this Lord Jesus Christ is. That word who at the beginning of verse 4 links the two verses together. This blessing is from the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's from that same Lord Jesus Christ who in verse 4 gave himself for our sins. And here we have the first basis for this blessing that Paul pronounces, Christ's death. It's based upon the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has given himself for our sins. It is this that enables, it is this that secures this grace and peace. It's this that gives this favor of God, this peace with God. The fact is that that sin, Paul speaks of sin here, he gave himself for our sins. The fact is that sin results in destruction. Paul speaks here, doesn't he, about the present evil age. He's given himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. The fact is that we live in a fallen world. We live in an age marred by sin. Because of the sins of men and women, because of the sins of you and I even, this world has been cursed. We've been separated from God. This world has been subject to death, decay, the curse, disease. Subject, perhaps even worse, to the wickedness of our own hearts. And the Bible speaks of us all insofar as we remain captive to this age. As being <clears throat> unable to even discern the things of God. Of having hearts which are captive to sin. To selfishness. To perverted ideas of what the good is. What if you realise that? And what almost everybody seeks goodness. And by that I don't necessarily mean that everybody seeks to be good. But almost everybody seeks what is good for ourselves? We don't seek, we seek joy rather than pain. We seek things that will bring satisfaction. But in the Bible's analysis, this cannot be found, not in this present evil age, as Paul calls it here. We cannot break free from our master's sin. We're enslaved. So enslaved, in fact, that our minds are darkened and we, we cannot even know what good is. Do you realize the truth of that? Perhaps you have this morning. Perhaps you're here knowing that there is no lasting joy in this world. And even if you glimpse it for a moment, it fades, vanishes. Even the greatest joy that we have is only preparation for the inevitable heartache when in this world of death and decay it is finally taken away. The fact is that we are separated from God. The alienation we experience is because the true God, our maker, the one from whom all goodness flows, that one has been estranged from us because of sin. And what's more, any problems in this life are only a vanishingly pale foretaste of what hell is. Subject not only to the complete withdrawal of the providential care of God, but even 
subject to his active wrath against sin. This separation from God ultimately fulfilled in hell is God's judgment upon sin. A judgment which flows from his righteousness and from his complete rejection of sin and all of its works. But yet, nonetheless, we read here that even against this backdrop, even against the backdrop of this present evil age, that grace and peace can come. That's what Paul wishes for the Galatians. They can come, in fact, Paul says, from God the Father. That's what he says in verse 3, isn't it? That same God who judges sin, from him grace and peace can come. Well, how can this be? Well, as Paul gives this blessing, he overflows as well in verse 4 into the reason it's possible. Grace and peace can come. Grace and peace, even from the righteous judge of the earth, can come. Because of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is that same one. Who gave himself for our sins. In order that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Jesus gave himself we read. Jesus was no mere man. That's clear here from the way that, that he's sort of paralleled with God isn't he? Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. Coming from both. This one. The second person of the Holy Trinity. The one who was in fact God. He became man. Gave himself. Came from heaven. To give himself for sin. Ultimately the climax of this was upon the cross. As he became the sacrifice for sin. The sacrifice to which all of those Old Testament sacrifices had had only dimly pointed. As he hung on the cross he did so willingly. Intentionally, that he, though completely without sin himself, might bear our sins. Might take the penalty, the punishment for them upon himself. Take the curse upon himself. I don't know where you are this morning on this. It could be that you have never known Christ. But here is one who has taken the curse upon himself. Who's borne the penalty for sin. And who has done so. That he might deliver us. From this present evil age. In his work on the cross. Jesus Christ has ushered in a new age. He's begun the new creation. There is a present evil age. But in Christ we can be delivered. Says Paul here into something different. God's purpose, the Bible teaches, is ultimately to recreate this world. In a world with no more curse, no more sin, no more suffering, no more alienation between God and man. And in Christ that process has begun. In his resurrection from the dead, he is the the first fruits of that new creation. And in Christ, joined to him. United with him. Those who have trusted in him. Even while this old age continues. Have access to this new age. This new creation. Are even now delivered in some measure. From this present evil age. 
For the Christian, even now, even while the old age continues, there is already freedom from the power of sin. That's not to say that we no longer sin, but we're no longer enslaved to it. By the grace and the Spirit of God. Freedom to serve God rightly, for his own sake. Sin dealt with. Access to that one who is the true good. One, as we said earlier, from whom all goodness flows. Though all of this will be perfected only and ultimately in the the consummation of this new age, in the new heavens and the new earth. What will you do with this? This deliverance which is available. I saw a headline not that long ago on the BBC news website. And And it simply read this, Cost of living. Charity warns Christmas debt could take years to repay. Now, just imagine being in that situation. You know, having taken on debt over Christmas, maybe feeling under pressure to spend a certain amount to keep up with friends and family or whatever. Then to be facing, having had one splurge, if you like, then to be facing years to pay that back. Maybe that even is you this morning, I don't know. A few more debilitating things than death. The way it can hang on a person. But imagine that facing this mountain of debt, someone, a friend maybe, or even a stranger. Imagine that person, someone just turns up one day and just pays all the debt. No more interest racking up all the time. It's all gone. Pay packet no longer eaten up each month with the servicing of this debt. And the debt itself just totally seems to be going down at all. Imagine your feelings, the freedom, the liberation that that would give. But this is what Christ has done, except even more wonderfully. We are debtors to God. Debtors who have a penalty to pay, which is barely worth contemplating. And yet Christ has paid the penalty, paid the debt, given himself, died in our place. Suffered in our place. That you and I might go free. If we will trust in him. Will you hear this this morning? Will you turn to him? Will you know that grace and peace are available. In and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to forgive all the debt. Peace with God. No more judgment for sin. Will you come this morning and receive? Doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what the sins are that are in your past. If you will come to Christ. Then you will receive pardon for your sin. Will you come to him if you do thirst after goodness? Will you come to this one? Who offers the water of life. Without money and without price. Freely. Well that's the first reason that Paul can give this blessing. The death of Christ. Christ's death. But... The second reason that Paul gives this blessing is God's decision. Because what do you read at the end of verse 4 there? He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. 
Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was to turn away the wrath of God against sin. That's true. However, that must never be taken to imply that Jesus was somehow acting on his own here. No, this was all part of God's plan. This was according to the will of God the Father. We might also say that it was not only part of God the Father's plan, but it was also part of God the Son's plan. That's emphasized here too. We read that Jesus gave himself for our sins. Again, the implication is that he did this willingly. According to his human will, yes, he chose the death of the cross. Willingly laying down his life for his people. Knowing the horror, we see something of that in Gethsemane as he he sweats drops of blood. Knowing, facing the prospect of the cross. But yet, nonetheless, willingly chooses it. For the sake of his people. But there's also a divine choosing for the son also. Before ever he became a man. The divine son, it was according to his divine will. That he became incarnate, came down from heaven. Father and Son both chose this. Though he isn't mentioned here, the Holy Spirit chose this. There is but one single divine will shared by all three persons of the Trinity. Father sent, the Son came and died, the Spirit applies, but all in one unity of will and purpose. It came as no surprise to the Father that the Son ended up on the cross. It came as no surprise to the Son that he was taken and crucified. All of it was planned, purposed, according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And I would suggest that this truth serves a purpose in the immediate context here. Paul has asked for blessing upon the Galatians. We've seen its ultimate basis in the work of Christ on the cross. But Paul phrases this at the end of verse 4 here. And even with the mention of Christ giving himself in such a way as to assure those hearing of it, of its power. Because here he explains what this Lord Jesus Christ, for whom, from whom he's been asking grace and peace has done. That he gave himself for our sins, that it was willing, and then he returns to the Father, that he planned and purposed it also. In the work of Christ we find the Godhead's united purpose and determination to save his people we have the judge of all the earth who sends his son he is a judge he's willing to impose the legal penalty indeed as a just judge he must impose the penalty but yet he is involved also in making the way making the way whereby sinners can come to him through Christ and his death on the cross we have the incarnate son willingly laying himself down And this should give us confidence. Paul issues this blessing upon the Galatians. But in a secondary way to you too. If you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning. Take comfort in this. That the triune God has purposed your salvation if you're a Christian. This is something that goes back to eternity past. And before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ. See him working throughout all history, his purposes to save his people and know that you were chosen by name. 
When you see him working through all history for your good, will you doubt that he will indeed bless you? Do you doubt that you can indeed keep going as a Christian? Maybe you do this morning. Maybe you have worries about the future. Where will I end up? Put them to bed. If you will keep depending on Christ. This is the God who in his single divine will purposed this. This is the Christ who gave himself. Will he let you go? What about those words from Paul in Philippians 1.6? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There is no division in the purpose of God in this or in any other regard. The grace you received when your sins were forgiven will continue and it will perfect you. This should be an encouragement to us. We can be confident that if we will continue to rely upon God, we will continue to look to him as the author and finisher of our faith, that he will keep us and that we shall be kept. I believe this. If you truly trust in God, if you will continue to look to him, to follow after him, then know that he loved you in eternity past. That he sent his son to die for you. That Jesus gave himself for you. The divine son. You rest in this. Nothing can separate you. And he will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Do you doubt that God will pour out his blessings upon you? Do you hesitate to accept this benediction from Paul here? Grace and peace. Do you wonder if it's really for you? Do you still struggle to fall into sin perhaps? Struggle to cope with all the pressures of life? Will you look and see who is the one who is on your side? What he's already done. It makes a difference, doesn't it, knowing that God is on our side. You know, I heard a story about a young man in a philosophy, a philosophy class for um, epistemology, essentially. A study of, of what knowledge is, how we know, you know, what valid knowledge claims are, this kind of thing. And... Um, in the first class, which was to be near the beginning of the course, the teacher came in and um, put forward a particular view about knowledge with which this, this student disagreed. It's against his Christian convictions, aside from anything else. But he was the only one in the class who disagreed. Everyone else just fell in line with the teacher and a, a lively discussion ensued. Took up most of the class. And afterwards, there were a few negative comments about how this student really should have just kept his mouth shut and gone with what the teacher had said. Not been so kind of proud, thinking that he could say something better. Then, the following week's class came about. Settling into the seats, and this young, young student here, he's... It's kind of apprehensive because, you know, is it all going to begin again? Is everybody going to gang up on me again? I'm going to be the only one standing here trying to say something. And... But actually, to everybody's surprise, the first thing that the teacher did was to tear a strip off everyone other than this young student because the previous week, everyone had just cowed out the line. That this one lone student was the only one willing to question. And the change in the room was palpable beginning you know he'd been sitting here thinking well I'm, I'm sort of done for here everyone else probably sitting smugly and 
then suddenly the most powerful person in the room is, is, on, the te- is, on, is on their student's side. He's kind of the teacher's pet, but in a way where nobody could accuse him of having been kind of sucking up to the teacher or anything like that. That made a difference. Suddenly he's got someone on his side. Even the most powerful player in the room, really. And do you realise that you have God on your side? If that would make a difference to that student, what difference does it make to you? Knowing that you have the God of heaven, who throughout history has been working for the salvation of his people, and that includes you, chosen by name before the foundation of the world. Do you realise what was involved? Do you realise how far back this goes? Imagine the father who's given his own son. Imagine the Christ who went to the cross. Imagine the triune God who has planned and purposed and worked this throughout history. Will now, at the last, withhold blessings, withhold grace and peace from his people. Well, know that he will bless. Know that there is grace and peace in him. That he'll bless In this life, the grace and peace here and now are a reality. Even if that means the the grace to suffer hardship. Know that he will give grace to turn from sin if you will come to him. Know that he will provide for you and that he will give you all things in that age to come. Well, they're the first two things. The first two reasons that Paul can give this blessing. Christ's dependence, God's decision. But now, thirdly and finally... The third reason that he gives this is because of our dependence. Christ's death, God's decision. Thirdly, our dependence. He gives this because of our dependence, our utter and absolute dependence upon the grace of God. Shown the reality of this blessing. Shown... That it's based on the work of Christ, the tri- purpose, tri- the triune purpose of God. But it is not enough merely to realize that this is a real blessing, that this is a real grace and truth which is really available. We must also realize that we need it. And this dependence, this need, is implied by Paul's pronouncement of this blessing here. He isn't simply saying this as a a sort of nice form of words, a way that he likes to introduce letters. He isn't just saying it because it's a kind of polite thing to say. He's saying it because it's needed. We spoke earlier, didn't we, about Christ's death. And yes, we do need this grace in that sense. If you do not know Christ, hear this this morning. This is necessary for you. But for all the truth of, of that, I... I think in this final point, our focus needs to be on something else. We've already looked at our needs for God's grace in that initial forgiveness. But Paul is writing to to churches here. He's writing to those whom it it is assumed have trusted in Christ. They've had their sins forgiven. They've been washed in the blood of Christ. At one level. Yet he still pronounces this blessing upon them. The fact is that forgiveness for sin, justification being declared righteous, that is not the end. It isn't the case that you, know, you become a Christian and then God sort of changes you, turns you from sin, and then you can kind of just carry on in your own strength after that. No. Oh, the Christian needs continual supplies 
of God's grace. Grace and peace then are not simply a statement of what's happened, the status that the Galatians enjoy as Christians. It's something they need continuously. And that's why Paul prays for it here. That's why he pronounces this blessing. Will you realize the truth of that if you're a Christian here this morning? As I look around, the, the older I get, and I'm, I'm only 34, I'm not, I'm not that old really. But even in my relatively short life, I can look at those who I know who, who were once Christians and who now just are nowhere. I look at those who were once Christians but who now they've embraced, embraced a form of Christianity which just bears no relation to the Bible. And it might discourage us as we think about these things. This hope we have in God's grace. We look around and we say, well, it doesn't seem to be working out. How do we respond to this? But surely it is to realize afresh that we can only persevere because of and through and with the grace of God. By the work of God's Spirit. I do believe in the perseverance of the saints. I do believe that God's people, that God keeps his people. I've already said that in the first point, haven't I? In the second point. But God's people continue in grace only because they are continually supplied with God's grace. You hear this and believe this this morning. If you do look for strength in yourself, if that's what your Christian life is, then you will fail. That's what your religion is, just sort of a self kind of trying to do it yourself. That isn't what, that's not looking to Christ. We look to Christ and God and his grace for all things. For our initial justification and for our sanctification and our continuing perseverance. There is no health in us by nature, not in ourselves. It's like with a small child, isn't it? Uh, Clara, our middle daughter, she's, uh, she's two years old now. but She's at an age where she's starting to like to think of herself as being quite independent and she, uh, she's always, she wants to do things on her own. No, I can do it, I can do it, or me do it, as she says. But often she isn't capable of doing what, what she wants to do. We can't leave her on her own. <laughs> you know, if we did leave her to do things on her own, you know, to cross roads, for example, she wouldn't be able to do it. She wouldn't survive very long at all. She's dependent upon her mummy and her daddy and whichever other adult is looking after her at the time. And so it is with us. You know, maybe a bit like Clara, we sometimes imagine that we have got it all worked out. Imagine that we can be independent. We can manage on our own. We can't. Will you realize that this morning? Do you try things in your own strength? Do you realize your need of God's gracious help and will you turn to him? Do you realize that there is grace for you? We do have burdens, don't we? Curse. But there's grace for them. There is one who invites us to lay them upon himself. Will you receive that? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's health. Do you realize that there's one who's far more interested in your well-being than even you are? You leave it with him. Financial worries. You leave it to the Lord. The one who's promised to provide and bless 
And as I've said, that, that, I'm not saying here that this means that you're going to get home and your bank account's going to be full. I'm not saying that. But everything that is needed, he will supply. And that will mean physical provision at certain times. Other times it might mean that he gives the grace to undergo hardship, but he will supply. And whatever it is, will be for the best for his people. Can you leave that with him? Maybe for you it's worrying about your parents, your spouse, your children. Just the future, I don't know. You leave it with the Lord. None of you can add a cubit to your height by worrying. Well, will you leave it to the Lord? As Jesus says. Maybe for you it's more seeking to live as a Christian in your own strength. Seeking to turn from sin in your own strength. You realise you can't do this on your own. You come to the one who has promised that if you will turn to him, then he will give the spirit. He will give life. Now, that's not to say that you become a Christian and every temptation just instantly disappears. I'm not saying that. But if you will pray, if when you are tempted, you will fling yourself genuinely and wholly upon Christ, then he will give grace to help in time of need. Will you come to Christ? Will you realize your dependence upon him, your need of him? Will you cease from seeking strength in yourself? Well, Clara does realize, thankfully, that there are some things she can't do. Sometimes after trying on her own, she will say, me can't do too hard. Daddy, help me. Will you realize that also? You realize that really compared to the living God, it's what we are, a little two-year-old. Our helplessness and our need of him. We need to conclude now. We've spoken about this blessing here that Paul pronounces. This blessing which applies to you if you have trusted in Christ. How will you receive it? Will you receive it in all of its fullness, knowing that it's based on Christ's death? God's decision, the triune God's purposes in eternity past. Will you realize your need, your utter and absolute dependence? Upon the living God to walk before him. And will you conclude with Paul as he does in verse 5 here. That to this one there must be glory forever and ever. Amen.